This podcast is brought to you by GovInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within federal, state, and local government agencies. Hello, I'm Executive Editor Eric Chambro, and here are some of the top stories on GovInfoSecurity.com during March 2011. Security maker RSA revealed it was victimized by sophisticated assault on its networks, targeting its SecureID two-factor authentication products. RSA characterized the attacks as an Advanced Persistent Threat, or APT. The only official comment came in a letter from RSA's executive chairman posted on the corporate website revealing the breach. Since then, RSA has remained silent. But weeks before the breach, GovInfoSecurity.com spoke with RSA Chief Technology Officer Brett Hartman about APT. Hartman characterized APT as insidious and very hard to detect, with the malware hiding before attacking. It's not like something that just blasts through the front door and deletes your hard drive and, you know, or attempts to. Right? It, it's very, very pernicious and very narrowly focused. Part of the challenge around advanced persistent threat is, again, it's defense in depth, but it's first of all recognizing that those countermeasures we put in place to prevent that advanced persistent threat to infiltrate the system are just by definition less and less effective. The fact that the complexity of the stack is so great, there's so much code, it's impossible to get rid of every last vulnerability that exists in that stack. They, they just We just see it over and over again. As long as people keep writing code and making patches and making multi-million lines application stacks, there will be vulnerabilities, and some small percentage of APTs will get through. And so what that means, especially in APTs, is the shift of emphasis less so. It doesn't go away, but less so on infiltration and more so in terms of detecting an exploitation, trying to prevent it if possible, but even if you can't prevent it, then trying to do something about it so it doesn't happen again. That's hard because it's so targeted. The fact is that when you move to that exploitation, chances are that's going to look a whole lot like typical application access. You know, if it's an exploitation, say, if we're talking about moving money or, say, accessing somebody's uh, patient record, it may not be that much different than what a, what a human being would do. So part of the trick in an APT is to, I, I think, being able to tie different sources of evidence up and down the stack together to have a higher degree of confidence that this is truly an exploitation and not just something that a typical user is doing. We'll be back in a moment with more of our top content from March. Are you responsible for your agency's regulatory compliance program? Do cybercrime, data breaches, or endpoint security keep you up at night? Do you have any certifications which require continuing professional education credit hours? The solution to your problems may be the GovInfoSecurity.com Educational Webinar Library. You'll find plenty of courses that align with your core responsibilities. Visit GovInfoSecurity.com for more information on how to access these webinars. Welcome back. A House panel held a hearing on WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks, of course, refers to the disclosure last fall of a quarter million confidential diplomatic cables allegedly downloaded by Army PFC Bradley Manning onto compact disks from a computer in Iraq linked to CIPRNET, the Defense Department's secure network. The Government Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs held a hearing to get answers on how the breach occurred and what steps are being taken to prevent such a breach again. 
At the hearing, defense CIO Terry Takai says preventing a WikiLeaks-style breach has the attention of the top officials at the Pentagon. From a technology perspective, Takai says, DOD is implementing a host-based security system to detect anomalous behavior of individuals who download information from the network. We are moving forward on, as you mentioned, Senator Collins, is around uh, really a role-based process. Um, we're going to be implementing PKI identification similar to our current CAT cards that we have on our non-classified network and to all of the uh, DOD users. And what that will do is give us an opportunity over time to refine what what information individuals have access to. Sheer access to CIPRANET, for instance, in this case, we will be able to, by looking at each individual database, take it down to what information that individual needed, uh, as opposed to having the network completely open. Takai said implementing all the fixes to CIPRANET can't be done at once. For instance, she said producing the needed half-million controlled access cards in a trusted environment takes time. Distributing the cards, software, and readers isn't simple either, considering CIPRANET extends to isolated locations around the globe, such as ships at sea. Takai says she expects the last computers on the network won't be fitted with card readers and software until mid-2013. Finally, our featured interview. We spoke with Ohio State Information Security Officer David Morris. In Ohio, agencies used a variety of IT security frameworks, such as COBIT, ITIL, ISO, and NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. State government IT leaders met to decide if the state should standardize on one framework. Morris picks up the story. When you boil them all down, there's a lot of consistency across the different standards. It still left us addressing them differently across the enterprise. So when this group first met, we started talking about whether this made sense to standardize on a common approach so that we could have both a consistent way of addressing it in the, in the agencies, but also a consistent way of responding back to auditors as to what they should be seeing in our environments. What are the appropriate controls to have in our environment? We quickly came to the idea that, that NIST was probably the best framework for us as state government to adopt, and a lot of that was focused around many of the agencies having to deal with federal requirements already around the NIST framework. Receiving federal funds, and they were, they were having to respond to federal auditors very much in, in a consistent way with, with the NIST framework. To listen to the entire interview and check out all of our interviews, news, and views from March, go to GovInfoSecurity.com. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your weekend, and have a great April. This podcast has been brought to you by GovInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.GovInfoSecurity.com.